Al Jazeera podcast. To keep up with the latest from Gaza, make sure to subscribe to The Take. It helps more listeners find out about the show. Hit follow wherever you're listening to this episode. On Monday evening, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made an announcement from Israel after hours of negotiation with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. On Wednesday, President Biden will visit Israel. But by 10.50 a.m. local time on Wednesday, when U.S. President Joe Biden stepped off the plane at Tel Aviv's Ben-Gurion Airport, the landscape for his visit had shifted. Israel has hit a hospital in Gaza with an airstrike killing hundreds of Palestinians. It's the worst single attack since the start of Israel's assault on the besieged strip. Palestinian officials say nearly 500 people were killed in an Israeli raid on Gaza's Al-Ahli Hospital. The attack sparked immediate outrage on Tuesday, with thousands of protesters across the region taking to the streets. Cities across the Muslim world erupted in anger after a deadly blast killed hundreds in a Gazan hospital on Tuesday. While governments of nearby countries sharpened their tone against Israel. The resistance in the region will not close their eyes to the crimes of the Zionists. And continuing these inhumane approaches can cause the situation to get out of control. Enough is enough. You have to stop this carnage against the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. Let this stop. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said the strike was the latest example of Israeli attacks that lack the most basic human values. Washington continued its support. Here's President Biden talking to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. Meanwhile, calls for a ceasefire have become more urgent, but no closer to an agreement. The UN Security Council has rejected a Russian-drafted resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. So will the war of words that's erupted after the hospital attack turn into actions on the ground? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. We're talking to Al Jazeera's diplomatic editor, James Bays, who's been following the behind-the-scenes moves since the war on Gaza began. He says President Biden's trip to Israel went wrong even before he set foot in the country. Look, for the United States, I think Biden's trip has not gone the way they wanted at all. Uh, normally, a U.S. president wouldn't make a trip like this. They normally wouldn't go into a situation that is fluid as this. This is a country involved in active conflict at the moment. Normally, a U.S. president's trips are planned months in advance. Uh, advanced teams go to the country he's visiting. They look at all the locations. They look at all the photograph angles. Every little detail is checked. This was a hastily arranged meeting. It's gone really wrong for this reason. James says that the one part that is still going as planned is Biden's show of solidarity with Israel. After landing in Tel Aviv, the U.S. president was greeted and shared a hug with Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Then in a joint press conference, Biden underscored his support. I want to say to the people of Israel, 
Their courage, their commitment, their bravery is, uh, is stunning. It's really stunning. I'm proud to be here. He also appeared to agree with Israel's claim that it wasn't responsible for the attack on Alahi Hospital. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. Biden presented no evidence that the other team was responsible for the attack. The health ministry in Gaza said the blast at the hospital was caused by an Israeli air raid. Israel denies that. The other parts of the trip, I think, are more problematic for the U.S. One of them, I think, is particularly difficult now, given what's happened with the hospital, and that's to try and avoid further spillover, further escalation of the conflict. And clearly, what we've seen, the protests we've seen, I think will have U.S. officials very, very worried. The outcry could be seen across the Arab world. Protesters in Jordan's capital tried to storm the Israeli embassy. A scheduled summit between Joe Biden and the leaders of Jordan, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority was canceled. We've certainly, I think, seen very strong reaction coming from the Arab world and certainly from those countries that are closest to this situation, looking at uh, Egypt, looking at Jordan. And there's a dynamic here, I think, of those leaders being well aware now of the, the mood of their people. We've seen large protests on the streets. In the Jordanian capital, Amman, protesters tried to storm the Israeli embassy. While in cities around the Middle East, from Beirut to Baghdad, anger is only growing as Israel continues to bomb Gaza. And I think in some ways, the Arab street is determining the reaction and determining the fact that those leaders, and we saw Jordan, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority all decide not to have a summit with Joe Biden. They decided this was not the right time. The president's meeting with Arab leaders in Jordan has been called off. The excuse they gave the U.S. president was it was a time of mourning, but this is a snub to the U.S. president. And that, I think, presents a real problem of optics for the U.S. president. He's seen already in this conflict as one-sided, and now he goes to the region and he only sees one side. The cancelled meeting is also a mischance to make progress on pressing needs inside Gaza. The most important of the Arab countries in any ways right now is, of course, Egypt. Because if you refer to Gaza, and we often refer to Gaza as the world's biggest open-air prison, yes, Israel is the jailer, but Egypt also has a key. And so Egypt is the one that actually can do something here. Egypt is the one that can potentially if Hamas and the Israelis allow it, can get aid in through the Rafah crossing. On Wednesday, Israel said it will not thwart humanitarian supplies from Egypt as long as it's only food, water and medicine for civilians in southern Gaza. A statement from the Israeli prime minister's office said this was, quote, in light of President Biden's demand, end quote. But Egypt is deeply concerned about letting Palestinians and people from Gaza out into Egypt. There's been suggestions coming from parts of the Israeli political establishment that it's not just about letting some dual nationals out, it's not just about letting some aid in. There are serious people in Israel who are potentially talking about people from Gaza moving and be relocated to the Sinai. That would be, I think, 
terribly worrying for the Egyptians because Egypt is a poor country. Egypt is a country that is struggling economically. And that's the sort of thing that really could destabilize the place. Al Jazeera correspondent Ali Hashem has seen the other side. He's in southern Lebanon, near the border with Israel. The tensions have been building there since the war began. Ali says it's on the verge of a breaking point. The attack on the hospital in Gaza was a turning point. Actually, Arab leaders, regardless of their status, whether they are in normalization talks with Israel, such as Saudi Arabia, or have deals with Israel, such as the UAE, Bahrain, all countries involved directly and have peace treaties, such as Jordan and Egypt, they all can't resist the popular outcry. They can. That popular outcry has again raised the prospect of the war spreading to other parts of the region. Now, we know that Iran is a leader of what it calls the axis of resistance, with Hezbollah as uh, the main player in it, have been boosting their uh, military infrastructure on the border. So the fact here is that there is a threat, a real threat. Now, this threat, I believe, was part of a containment strategy, whereas they want the Israeli operation in Gaza to have kind of limits. Ali says that there are red lines to the strategy. One of the main red lines is the ground offensive, because Iran wouldn't want to see Hamas being annihilated. The same goes for, uh, for Hezbollah. So the issue here is that the axis of resistance see this war in Gaza as a kind of an existential threat to its presence, to its extension from Tehran to Gaza. And that's why they're trying to push as much as they can, maybe by putting options in front of the international community, in front of Israel, in front of the United States. If this is going to continue, then there's going to be a wide-range regional war. Ali says that the gap is too big to reach a middle ground in the conflict at this time. It's black or white, at least for some time, till, till everyone is kind of exhausted by the fight. And this fight could extend, not gradually, actually, quickly to fronts such as Iraq, where missiles might be launched from there, to Syria, where missiles could be launched from there. Even we heard from the leader of the Houthis, the Abdel Malik al-Houthi, threatening of launching rockets from Yemen. So this would be uncontrollable. And uh, how is this going to uh, impact even the presence of Israel, the same existence of Israel? This is a big question because it's not anymore about the security of Israel. Uh, And who knows how this is going to play with the people and how much people are going to be mobilized for such a, a battle. After the break, what's being done to ease that anger? and prevent more violence. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Before the strike on the Gaza hospital, the UN was already warning about a humanitarian catastrophe brought on by Israel's total siege. 
But at the UN Security Council on Monday, a resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire was voted down. The result of the voting is as follows. Five votes in favor, four votes against, six abstentions. The draft resolution has not been adopted, having failed to obtain the required number of votes. The U.S. was among the countries opposing the resolution. And Al Jazeera's diplomatic editor, James Bayes, says the vote shows how divisions from other conflicts can spill over. I think we get some indication of where the countries stand on the current conflict in Gaza, but you've also got to be aware that it gives us also an insight into the impasse and divisions that are the UN Security Council at the moment. The, the resolution that didn't pass, I think it's worth mentioning, was drafted by the Russian Federation. And clearly, many countries were very sceptical, given the war in Ukraine, by Russia's motives here. Russia's ambassador made it clear that this was a humanitarian, not political resolution, and that everyone should support it. Uh, but certainly, there are a number of countries, notably the US, but also its allies, the UK and France, that believe Israel has a right to defend itself and that this resolution would have restricted that right. Brazil introduced another resolution for a humanitarian pause. But while 12 of the 15 Security Council members voted in favor, the U.S. used its veto power to strike it down. Yes, resolutions are important. And yes, this council must speak out. But the actions we take must be informed by the facts on the ground and support direct diplomacy efforts that can save lives. Meanwhile, the scale and intensity of the human suffering has moved the head of the UN to become more vocal than before. Secretary General Antonio Guterres has been very, very cautious until now to use the word ceasefire. He's asked for de-escalation, but he's not used the word ceasefire. Now, I think that's for several reasons. One of the reasons is that he knows that he's dealing with a war where one of the parties is Israel, which is a powerful country in the UN, but even more powerful because of its close ally, the United States, which is a permanent member of the UN Security Council. I think there's a second reason, and that's that the Secretary General of the UN never wants in any way to have any problems with any contradiction of the UN Charter, which is the governing document that governs the work of the UN. Article 51 of the Charter says there's a right to self-defence. And so I think this is why the Secretary General has been very reticent to say the word ceasefire until now. But the bombing of the hospital has changed things and he's calling for what he says is a humanitarian ceasefire. I am horrified by the hundreds of people killed at Al-Hahli Hospital this same day in Gaza by a strike that I strongly condemned earlier today. I call for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire to provide sufficient time and space to help realize my two appeals and to ease the epic human suffering we are witnessing. Too many lives and the fate of the entire region hang on the balance. James says all of this frustration at the UN and on the ground has been magnified as President Biden continues to stand unwaveringly with Israel in the last 10 days or so has completely undermined the Biden administration's policy on Israel-Palestine. 
The Biden administration basically took the Trump policy on this conflict. It uh, decided to follow the same plan, which was following the so-called Abraham Accords, which came in under President Trump. And that was to go round the Palestinians. That was to do normalization deals with other uh, neighboring countries and to try and to, to get more of those deals. So going beyond the countries that had already signed the Abraham Accords, the UAE, Bahrain, um, Sudan and Morocco, and to bring in Saudi Arabia. And the Israeli Prime Minister just last month, when he spoke to the UN General Assembly, said they were on the cusp of a dramatic breakthrough, a dramatic normalization deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Well, that hasn't happened. And because of this conflict, it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. And the whole policy of working around the Palestinians, ignoring the Palestinians, doing deals with others, that has seemed to have completely failed. The Palestinians and their relationship with the Israelis is back center stage. And that's The Take. As we continue our coverage on Gaza, the occupied West Bank and Israel, we're also keeping our ears on another story. In the U.S., Republican Jim Jordan has lost a second round of votes to become the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. This comes after former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was removed from the post earlier this month. The situation means the House likely can't pass bills or greenlight resolutions needed to direct aid abroad. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn and Khalid Sultan, with Zaina Bazar, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Bagat, Ashish Malhotra, Faranisa Kampana, Sariyat Khalili, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. This episode was mixed by Tim St. Clair. Alexandra Locke is the Takes executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.